So the real premise behind this whole series is love. How do we do love well? And you know, there's a story about a man, some of you might have heard of him, his name was Bob Jones. And uh, he had a well-known prophetic ministry, he ministered around the world. Uh, He's passed on to be with the Lord a few years back. But he had had an encounter where he struggled with his health, and he had actually passed away at one stage, and he describes going to heaven and encountering Jesus. And he said when he encountered Jesus, he was asked one thing. He wasn't asked about how great his prophetic gift was and how he had stewarded it. He wasn't asked about how many people he had reached and saved and brought to the Lord. But he was asked this one simple question about his time here on earth. He was asked, did you learn how to love? Did you learn how to love? Now, I cannot validate whether that experience was accurate or not. But I do want to say that question resonates with me. And I trust it resonates with you as well. Because really, when we look at the gospel, that's the whole essence of it. We page through the book of the Bible and we see over and over again, we see this amazing story of love, the love of God for us as his people, where he wants to draw us into relationship with him. But not only so that we receive it, but that we can be empowered to share it as well. And so we see there's so many opportunities that we find Particularly here today, we are presented with so many opportunities sitting in Durban, South Africa, sitting in our community and the communities around us to express the love of God, to learn how to love and to love well. There's so many opportunities for that, but are we, are we finding that happening? You know, there are many of us here who are parents and we've experienced just that supernatural love of God for a child. That's easy. You know, your child is born and there's that connection. I need to put a little disclaimer there because Daryl Hoffman, if you see him, please congratulate him who runs the coffee shop. Uh, he had his, him and Vicky had their daughter about 10 days ago and I went to the hospital to visit them on the second day. And uh, Daryl was, and I said, Daryl, you know, how was it connecting with, with your daughter for the first time? And he said, George, you know, Vicky had been in labor for 12 hours. There had been an emergency C-section and he said, you know what, I was tired. And she asked me whether I was grumpy because I felt quite numb. And so I said, yeah, you know, it's just that I'm tired. So I went home and slept. And, you know, my daughter, she wasn't that pretty when she was first born. I think he was a little bit depressed. But he said, when I came back the next day after getting rest because he needed it, Vicky was okay, but Daryl needed the rest. When he came the next day, she was beautiful. And there was this supernatural love that he felt for his daughter. And marriage, it can be a similar thing, you know, with your fiance, it kicks off and there's a love for your for your partner and, and then you get married and it's exciting, it's an adventure and there's all these wonderful experiences and you don't have to work hard to be in love. But there's that morning that you wake up, years down the line, probably at around 4.30 with the child screaming and this incessant noise going on and you think, is my partner deaf? Can they not hear the baby crying? And marriage starts to need a little bit of work. It needs to, a bit of cultivation to take place. It, it was like me yesterday. I needed to cultivate love in my heart when my daughter and my wife headed out early while I was preparing. And I started getting SMSs on my phone from Nedbank <laughs> saying they were being entertained at Gateway, the theater of shopping. And I needed to cultivate love in my heart. I have one of the harvesters who, as a couple, they've given me permission to share this this morning. But one of the guys had come to me and he said, George, you know, I just want some input into my marriage. I want it to go to the next level. So I said, great. And he said, my wife said something to me and I I, I don't know where to go with this. So I said, well, what was it? And she said, you need to fight for me more. 
I said, well, that's good. You know, was it in the area of romance or time or what? He said, I asked her that. She wouldn't tell me. She said, you've got to figure it out. <laughs> and he does because we need to cultivate love. In the workplace, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Not always so easy to love there, especially when you've been in that place where you've been maybe eyeing that new promotion and maybe there's been a little bit of incentive, you've been working hard and you think you're going to get it, only to find the newbie who's come onto team gets promoted and he takes your position. And there's something that rises up in your heart towards him and the boss and you need to learn how to love in that situation. I had to learn how to love when I went to watch. I'd been given wonderful tickets in the gold zone to go and watch South Africa playing New Zealand for the first time to watch that test at Kings Park. And we lost 56 or 57, 15. And I was sitting with New Zealanders next to me and they had terrible looking ferns painted on their faces. And I had to learn how to love as they were high-fiving each other. And I was walking out of that stadium. But there's this process where we've got to mature. Maybe it's when you get cut off, as we so often say, but it's so real that we can say it every week, by the taxi, or you get stuck in all the traffic and all that's taking place by gateway. Maybe when it's when the, the hawker's trying to sell you something through your window, or there's someone in need knocking on the other side. And you think, how do I love well here where I'm placed right now in Durban, South Africa? Because I'm not here by chance. I have a purpose and a calling and a destiny in God, and it goes beyond me to affecting others. And how does that look? And am I learning how to love? Because when I see Jesus, I see the perfect example of that. Powerful love on display. And the good news is as we look at Jesus, we see that even as he went to the cross, we know that he took on all our sins so that we could be clothed in righteousness. We could be made perfect. Now, we don't always behave like that. We don't behave perfect, but it doesn't change the finished work of the cross and the way God sees us, that when we have believed and received Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees us as perfect because he sees his son and the finished work of the cross. And that's why the scripture speaks to us in 1 John 4 verse 4, where it says, little children, you are from God. We can put it on the screen. Little children, you are from God and have overcome the world. For he that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There's no circumstance, there's no situation, there's no surrounding happening that should be influencing you or changing your behavior or dictating who you need to be because the one who is in you is greater than whatever you're going to face in the world and God and you are always a majority, no matter what you might be facing. And so there's good news because there's this unending reservoir and fountain and river and supply of love that is yours, that is mine in God through what Jesus did by the working of His Spirit that we should be filled to overflowing, effervescent, and it should be pouring out wherever we go. The question comes back, are we learning how to love? Are we accessing that reservoir, that river, that fountain, and are we releasing it? Are we release points for the life of God? Or we just catchment areas that are trying to retain our little 67% of the water. Hazelmere, and we're grateful for the rain. Hazelmere, the last I heard, is at 67%. So this series is about helping us to think the way God thinks about relationships. It's going to encourage us to build relationships that can hold His presence, but not only to hold His presence in those relationships, but to go out and to love people that 
maybe feel a little bit hard to love? Do you know any people that maybe it's not easy to love them or to grow in love or know how to love because they are sometimes unlovable? Have you got any of those people in your life? Normally they're called grace grows because whenever you're with them, grace better be growing or you'll be going. I know one or two of those, just one or two. And so the challenge in this series is to put that into practice. An example is a good friend of mine, and I used to pick on him a lot when he was here. Uh, he, is, he was part of the team that he's leading a church in, in Kloof. It's Andrew Willington. And Andy, just because he's gone doesn't mean I won't pick on him. Andy is one of the most generous, kind-hearted, loving people I know. Don't tell him I, I said that. Normally I pick on him, so he'll, he'll start to feel good about himself if I do that. Now I need to learn how to love. Tell him. And he, you know, he would give money. He would be saving and he would give us, and this is true. He would give all his money to a young single mother in the house in Harvest so that she could buy a new car even when he needed one. His number plate at that time was pushed. It was a good number plate because his car needed to be pushed. But that was his heart, generous, kind-hearted. And anyway, one day he was telling me he had gone and hitting him Gainey Road. He had come to an intersection, and there was someone there who, who was in need and who came to his car window. And this person um, never had shoes on. He was wanting money, and he never had money. So Andy took his brand-new pair of reef, reef slops. I know Noel got him into those. They're the special ones. I think you're wearing them right now, Noel. And they've got the bottle open at the bottom as you lift your foot. Not that we'd ever use that. But he got the brand new pair like that. And um, at, the, at the stop, he, he, he thought, no, I need to give this guy something. So he said, am I, am I learning how to love? So he took his, his slops off and he gave it to this person at the side of the road. And the person took the slops and threw them away and said, I don't want slops, I want money. And sometimes we find ourselves in those situations where we, we try to love, but we just feel powerless. We think, how do I do it? It's, it's not happening like I want to. And as believers, we always want to be spirit-led. We want to be responding to what the Lord is doing. We want to be showing His love. We want to do the right thing. But we find ourselves in those situations where it's quite hard to do so. Have you found yourself in one of those situations where it's hard to love? Just me. One other hand. Candace, thank you for that support. Maybe it's with, and I see some grandparents in the house today, maybe it's with Christmas approaching that your grand made you one of those jerseys, you know, those woolen jerseys, and it's a pride and joy. And you put it on, but it doesn't feel like a cashmere wool jersey. It feels like a steel wool wool jersey. And the neck comes up to here, and it's loose on the chest, on the shoulders, and it's tight on your stomach. And, and you, you don't want to upset her, so you wear it, but you just want to explode out of that thing and find that guy on the side of the road and say, here's a jersey to go with your slops. Maybe that's it. Or maybe um, you've got that one family member whom I have where we keep saying, don't buy presents because if you buy presents... I've got to buy presents, and there's just too many relatives to do that for. And then you get the call two, two months before Christmas, and it's, oh, I've got presents for your kids. And it's like, oh, you've just put me in a position where I have to go, and there's no joy in my heart to buy those presents. Maybe there's joy in the heart, but maybe not the necessary funds in the bank. But you find yourself in those places. 
you find yourself when that person wants to have a coffee with you and they say, hey, let's grab a coffee. And you, yes, let's do it. And then suddenly the euphoria of the moment wears off and you think, I don't want to go to coffee with them. And you feel you're stuck in it and you want to cancel it and you want to avoid it, but you just can't do it. And by the way, I love coffee, so this is not me with you, but I'm just painting a picture. And uh, you, felt that you feel that you have to and you start using words like, I, I need to, I, I don't want to hurt them. I I need to go and start justifying with your language. And you say, I have to go or they'll be upset. I must help because that person in need, you know, they've been good to me, so I must do it for them. And I better just buy those presents. Otherwise, that family member is going to sulk and there's going to be issues and it's just not worth going into those. And so you start saying words like I have to or I ought to or I should or I must, I try, I'll do my best. And you end up end up resenting the situation or maybe even the person and building walls around yourself till you get to the place thinking, this is intolerable, this is impossible, I don't have enough love within me, so I'm going to move to Belito. <laughs> and I'm going to get a new community and a new circle of friends, and that'll be much better. And worst case scenario, there's Cape Town, and last possibility, there's Australia. <laughs> because surely the grass is greener on that desert. Sorry, out of the abundance of the heart, please forgive me. (laughs) Bless that land. And I want us to deal with this stuff today. I want us to take a look and think, are we trapped in powerless behavior? Or is there the opportunity that we can begin to realize that we haven't been given a, a spirit of timidity and we haven't been given a spirit of fear, but we've been given a spirit of power, not regulated, not minimalized, not just a little bit. You've been given a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control and self-discipline. And what does it look like that we're not powerless and locked in powerless behavior, but we can live as God and His Word has called us to live as men and women of the kingdom? In 1 Corinthians, this great passage on love as we're talking about it, 1 Corinthians 13, you so often quoted at weddings, the title for it in my Bible is called The Way of Love. And you start to read about the beauty of love, but then it gets a little bit punchy as you get a little bit further in. And verse 8 says this, Love never fails. We've got it on the screen. Love never fails. And it mentions some other things that'll fail. I'm not going to read all of those. And then you get to verse 11. If we can jump to there. Thank you, Jason. And it says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man or a woman, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Other versions would say, I put off childish ways. And there's a challenge that's coming here that as we are learning how to love, the scripture is saying for love not to fail, you need to put childish ways behind you. I think he's talking to me, talking to all of us. For love not to fail, we need to put certain things aside and certain things off and we need to put childish behavior and childish ways behind us. Because I want to say that when there's a failure in a relationship, usually it's because we didn't put away something immature in our behavior, and so we didn't allow the relationship to mature. Usually it's because we didn't put aside or put off something immature in our behavior, and so we never actually gave space for that relationship to mature. Now, we can't dictate or demand how the other person responds, but we can live powerfully, lives of love, with self-control and discipline to live lives that we model love no matter how they respond. And we don't let their behavior 
dictate how we're going to lead, lead our lives. And so there needs to be this intentional thing within us that we want our worship on a Sunday to go beyond just when we gather and we want it to outflow into life. You know, we don't want to just worship on a Sunday at church and then have warfare in the car on the drive home, warfare at home, warfare in the workplace, warfare wherever we go until we come back to a place where we can worship at church. We're wanting to mature and put off certain childish ways so that we can see love never fail, so that we can live powerfully lives of love with self-control. And so I want to look at this concept just as we share a couple thoughts before closing. I want to look at this concept of powerful Verse powerless. We're going to look at some scriptures. I'm laying the foundation, and we're going to finish off at looking at Jesus, the best place to look and how he handled some relationships. But there's this concept of living powerfully, and then there's this concept of having powerless behavior and being caught up in that. And the definition of powerful is so often spoken about in the world. You hear it all the time, but we don't regularly speak about it in church. And so I want to really define it so we don't get confused because being powerful in the world is something very different to what it means to be powerful in the kingdom as a man and a woman of God. Being powerful in the world, let's just define that. That's often about muscle. It's often about money. It's often about charisma. It's often about influence. It's about power dressing. And I try to power dress for you this morning. I got given a beautiful belt. This is... Um, oh, now I've forgotten what it is. This is a Nile crocodile. It's the horn side of the back. It's an Italian buck with brass covered in whatever it's covered in. It feels wonderful and weighty. And uh, the color is cognac. <laughs> I could have chosen black or brown, but I said, I'd like cognac. And it's an amazing gift. And, I, and, and I'm power dressing, but that has no impact in the kingdom. So don't be fooled, even though I was trying to trick you. Money, muscle, charisma, influence, being able to out-muscle someone or being able to terrify that person into not wanting to disappoint you. Those are all currency in the world. Uh, The epitome of this would be Vladimir Putin. You know, at the heart of worldly power, he's a leading Russia. He's an ex-parabat. This guy is amazingly uh, and, and intimidatingly bright. That, that being an ex-parabat, he'd be able to jump out of a plane in a scuba gear, swim to the bottom of the ocean, cruise around for a bit, grab a North Korean submarine, take the nuclear bombs, bring it back to Russia, then sit down to a game of chess with you and win. Donald Trump has nothing on Vladimir Putin. And that's worldly power. It's the currency the world operates in. The ability to control, not just myself, that's not really defined, but it's the ability to control everyone and everything around me. That's worldly power. But power in the kingdom is opposite. Being powerful in the kingdom is about being able to control yourself no matter how people are behaving around you. Being powerful in the kingdom is knowing you've been given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, and self-control, and discipline, and you're able to control yourself no matter how people are behaving around you. 
So when I bring this definition of power, I want to bring it because people are saying, well, how can you say you're powerful? We're called to be humble. How can you say that? Because worldly power, I'm not talking about trying to be he-man, master of the universe. I'm not talking about being God's most anointed man of power for the hour and the latest televangelist on TBN or whatever that might be. I'm talking about living responsibility for the choices that you have in God because you are accountable and you cannot blame and you cannot hide and you cannot point fingers at anyone else because lastly, the question will come to you. Have you learned how to love? And you don't want to say, but I was a victim and I was weak. And this person, you want to say, no, you've given me a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. And so I haven't partnered with fear or timidity, but I've been able to live purposefully and accountable to the choices you have given me. And I've been clothed with power from on high to live a life of impact. That's the power I'm talking about. So don't be put off by the word. In the kingdom, you can't be powerful if you're not humble. So here's the definition of power in the kingdom, if we can put that up. You don't have that. You do, because I saw it on the screen there. Jason, I'm going to powerfully remind you in love (laughs) to exercise self-control. And it's the one that had that quote that wrote that you said the picture only showed half of it. That O had a lot of meaning and weight and significance. Don't delete that from the recording. Okay. Jason. I love you, Jason. (laughs) The definition of power in the kingdom. Here's the definition. A powerful person is a person who takes responsibility for their thoughts, decisions, emotions, and behavior regardless of how others are behaving around them. Read that again for yourself. Just take a moment. So a powerful person in the kingdom who's someone who can live with the the responsibility God's given them and not try and blame others. We'll see that blame game in a moment. But it's having that self-control where we don't slip into, I'm going to have to control others around me and manipulate them, or I'm going to have to play the victim. No, I can live powerfully because I've been given His Spirit, and greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. And the model of this is looking at God. God is perfectly powerful. God is never pushed into a corner. God is never manipulated or dictated to about how he should behave, what his character should be like, and what his nature is. God is always true to himself. He's always true to his promises. He always watches over his word to perform it. It never returns void. He is always loving. He is always generous. He is always good. He is always benevolent. No matter if it might be a moment where he disciplines, but he disciplines in love and it's out of his goodness, not exempt from that. And so God is always true to who he is because he's powerful. We see this out playing in the Garden of Eden when we know that there's Adam and Eve and God's given two choices. Eat of all these trees, including the tree of life, but don't eat of this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And we know that what happens is they get given this choice, but there are consequences attached God isn't trying to control them. He doesn't just make one tree in the garden. He gives them choice and power and responsibility to live in accountability and in relationship with them because that's his desire. And we see that God is saying in it, my choice as the situation unfolds, my choice is to have deep and loving and intimate relationship with you. I choose you and I want you to choose me. 
but we know what takes place and Adam makes a different decision and he eats of the tree and there's consequences attached because God empowered him to make his own choice. And he has to live with the consequence. And maybe you've heard that old joke where God comes looking for Adam, says, what did you do? And Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the snake. And the snake doesn't have a leg to stand on. You've heard that one before. Maybe some of us haven't. (laughs) And And there's powerless behavior being modeled because Adam is hiding. And Adam shifts into the blame game. Powerless behavior, the blame game. She did it, she made me do it. If you had ever seen her angry, you would know I can't stand up to her. I'm just a victim and he's looking where to blame and God's having none of it. God is saying, I have given you the power. I've let you experience love and be filled with love. You have the ability to have a sound mind and make right decisions, but you've gone and made the wrong choice and there's a penalty attached to that. There's a consequence to your decision. But I want to say, your decision doesn't change who I am. And I also have made a decision. God's saying, I've also made a decision. And this is the beauty of God's decision. His decision is to constantly and ongoingly pursue you. No matter what you've done, His decision is to ongoingly pursue you. We see this in the Gospels over and over and over again, culminating in the greatest act of love ever, Jesus going to the cross and paying a price for you and for me because he longs to have deep and intimate and loving relationship with us restored so he can restore that with the Father and we can know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's his decision. Here's the beauty of that. Jesus doesn't make that decision wondering how you're going to respond. Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm going to choose to go to the cross, but they better choose to respond to me, all of them. No, he doesn't. He takes accountability for his own decision, makes a powerful choice that he's going to pursue us in love, no matter how you and I respond. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful thought. And so we see this happening, and we find that um, we need to be empowered and know his power so we can live out the relationships we're in. I want to give a quick picture of what those relationships can look like just before I come to some scriptures I want to focus on, and then we're going to close. But here's a little video clip that's going to show um, powerless behavior and what often happens in relationships, that we either fall into the victim mode or we fall into the bad guy mode or we fall into the, the rescuer mode. And here's going to show what that can look like, even as we've just been talking about the Garden of Eden. Jason, if you can put that on. Thank you. You don't like the way oh, I drive? Oh, Come oh, on in here, I'll give you a driving lesson. I didn't lesson. know. You want a piece of me? Why don't you come out and get you some, huh? Where are you going to go now? Well, you can't speed up by anybody now. You think you're better than me? At Suburban, you'll find revolutionary ideas that other dealerships just don't offer. Suburban Auto Group. On Highway 26 in Sandy. Trunk monkey pending approval by Attorney General. All right, back in the trunk. On these roads, we need a trunk monkey in every car, I would think. But really, this is what in counseling they call triangulation. It's just a dysfunctional relationship with three parties involved, victim, rescuer, and then you get the bad guy. We saw that. The victim is the person in the car. There's this bad guy yelling at him. And so what does he do? He calls in the rescuer, which we often do in that situation if we have a victim mentality. And the monkey comes running to the aid, and we know what happens. But the bad thing really unfolding from this for you and for me, and in real life, there's no winners in that situation. 
We know the one, the bad guy gets a sore head. We know the one who's the victim will probably land up in court being sued. And we know the monkey lands back up in the trunk. So no one's really winning in that situation. Yet so often we fall back to that mentality where we play the victim card. So many of us have done this. And you find yourself in trouble and you're wanting to um, find ways to get out of it. And so you make excuses. But not only do you make excuses, when you play the victim card, you allow other people to control you. I love this statement. I think it was by Danny Silk. He said, you know you are playing. If you're wondering if you're playing the victim card here, you know you are playing the victim card when you believe that you can be controlled by other people without guns. I love that description. You know you're playing the victim card when you're allowing yourself to be controlled by other people without guns. Now, I'm not, we in Durban, South Africa, Danny Silk was an American, made that statement. That might not, I, I don't want to pick on anyone that's been in those, there are people in this room that have been in those situations. So I'm not making light of that. But what I am saying is if no one's got a gun to your head, don't allow yourself to be controlled like that. Because you're not living with the spirit of timidity or fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So don't allow yourself to be intimidated. I've done this. I've played the victim. Many of us have done that. When, when Leanne's expecting me home at a certain time or for dinner, and I come home and I say, sweetie, I'm sorry I'm late, but, but John and Barbara were having marriage issues. <laughs> and I know they're going to, you know, their 50th is coming up, and I couldn't leave them like that because, because I work for God. And so I'm sorry that I'm late, and I had to break our agreement for dinner. Have you ever done something like that? You know, you, you hear yourself saying, oh, it's not my fault, and they the reason why, and they made me do it, or the devil made me do it. It wasn't me, and we blame our spouses and our boss and our parents and our kids. Quite often it is our kids' faults, but we, 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 we blame quite easily, and we play this victim card. And when we're playing the victim card, it's because we want someone to rescue us. We don't want to let the person down. We're needing, we're needing some help because we just don't feel we can do it in our own right. We're not strong enough. We don't want that individual to self because we've, we've spoken to them about a certain situation. We don't want our kids to throw a tantrum. And so we find a bad guy to blame. And we recruit a rescuer to us so that we can point fingers at who we blame. That's playing the victim card. Then you get the bad guy. And when you look at the bad guy, he's the guy that tries to control you with anger and frustration. Maybe it's ignoring you or maybe who knows what it might be. But the bad guy tries to intimidate you into, into doing what they want you to do. Maybe you've experienced that or maybe you've done that. I know husbands, I won't speak for myself, I'll be inclusive in this. I know a lot of us have spent large portions of our marriage trying to rescue our uh, spouses into being more like us. Have you done that? Ask Leanne what I say to her about the telephone, and she'll explain a situation to you, and you'll recognize what I've been doing. And when the rescuing doesn't work, rescuing them to be more like us, then we try and maybe bad guy them, and we get aggressive or whatever it might be to get them to be like what we wanted. And wives, don't think that you're exempt from this, because uh, often they might be shouting, but they can also be pouting. Uh, there's some words that rhyme here. It's one might get mad and the other gets sad. One might become incredible hulk and the other becomes incredible sulk. And there's this whole thing that takes place that outworks. And uh, men, even though I picked on you, you might know when your wife comes home and she's ignoring you, she's not speaking. 
And yet really, you know, she's shouting. I mean, the door is slamming and the, 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 the feet are stomping and the, the cups are, are shattering. It's, it's a terrifying moment. And you, you, I need to learn how to love. So you build up the courage and you say, honey, what's wrong? And the response is nothing. Have you experienced that? And then you know you've got to walk tentatively. Men do this, women do this, and kids learn this stuff in seconds. Lastly, there's the rescuer. He's the guy, and this is what we find in church so often. We love to rescue. I want to be needed. You know, George, we need you to come in and speak into our marriage. Or George, we need your wisdom. Or George, we need you to pray. And then I put on my nice shiny belt, and, and I go in, and I'm the rescuer, and I'm needed. And I'm going to step in, and I'm going to rescue this situation because I've got a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. But let me tell you, I'm not the rescuer. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. And when I get caught up in building into myself, people miss the power source of being plugged into who Jesus is. And in rescuing, we often set people into patterns of enablement that they continue in cycles that hurt themselves. But when the Redeemer and the Restorer and the Savior steps in, He equips you and He empowers you and He gives you His Spirit and greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world and He clothes you with power on high and with righteousness and He equips you to have a spirit of power, love and a sound mind so you can step out of being victim, bad guy or needing to be rescued and you can walk hand in hand with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and you won't be dictated to in who you are by what's going on around but you'll be an effective influence because you're a kingdom man and woman And people will recognize someone with power, love, and a sound mind, and self-control, and self-discipline has come into the room, and I am being influenced by the kingdom of heaven. And so let me just finish off with just some scriptures. I've laid a framework, and we need this for the series we're going into, um, just to understand some terminology. But let's just look at Jesus for a moment in these situations. We look in Luke 12. And there's these triangulation games that people try, and normally it's the religious leaders. They're trying to catch him up into. And the religious leaders come to, to him. Oh, sorry, not, that's the next, uh, next one. This, in this one, uh, a, a young man comes to him and says, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Teacher, please tell our brother, my brother to divide my father's estate with me. You'll remember we've done Prodigal God recently. What would often happen with an estate or a farm is the older brother would get the double portion, the double extent of the land, and the other brothers would just get a section. But they needed to all keep the land in order to be able to farm and earn an income. If you sold off any part of it, your earnings were diminished. And so you would normally try and keep the land together and not give out the inheritance too early because that would um, pull the rug out from under your feet. But this one brother comes and he says, Teacher, coming to Jesus, what card's he playing? Victim card. I can't do this. I don't have the power or the love or the self-control or a sound mind. So I'm needing you to make this decision for me. Teacher, please tell my brother, getting Jesus to be the rescuer, tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Here's Jesus' response. He doesn't get caught up in that. He doesn't get manipulated by people coming to him. He doesn't get dragged into need so that he can enable people in a certain cycle. But he equips through love. And Jesus responds, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? 
Friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? I'm not going to be coerced into being the rescue in this situation. But he goes on and says, I am going to love you. And he shows this individual of the real trap. Sorry, it's a different version to which I'm reading here. Verse 15. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you are. So he wasn't pulled into the trap of rescuing, but rather in love he equips him to step out of a place that could have been an entrapment of greed that was operating in his life. Another time, we know what happens. The the religious leaders want Jesus to be the bad guy. And so John 8 verse 7, they come to him and they bring a woman and say, she needs to be stoned. She's been in adultery. Jesus, you need to bad guy, intimidate and control and do something in this situation. And they says in verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So Jesus stood up again and said, all right, I'll make a decision, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. He's saying, I'll make a choice. My choice is that I'm not going to condemn. Now you make a choice. I'm not going to control you. I'm not going to stop you from making a choice. You make a choice. The one who is here who hasn't committed sin, let him cast the first stone. He didn't allow them to pull him into being the bad guy in that situation. And we know love expressed sets that woman into freedom. And then in John 10 verse 18, he doesn't allow himself to fall into victim mentality. He says in John 10 verse 18, going to the cross, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and to take it up again. I'm not the victim in this situation. I'm not the rescuer. I'm not the bad guy. And I'm not the victim, but I am who I am. And we know 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. And There will always be rescuers, there will always be victims, there will always be bad guys, but we need to make sure that we're not falling into any of those roles that situations are dictating to us, because when we do that, we are partnering with fear and timidity. And then we rendered powerless. But we need to know we've been given the Holy Spirit. Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. We've been given a spirit of power, love, self-control, self Sound mind and self-discipline so that we can be effective. Maybe it works out in this situation that you go to work tomorrow and your boss is angry and shouting and he's playing the bad guy role. And instead of partnering with fear, you can pray and say, Lord, you've given me a spirit of power so that I can live a life of love and have self-control. Lord, help me to serve excellently in my workplace. Maybe it's for those who like Facebook, you're going to get that Facebook share where it will say, if you really are a loving person, and if you really are a friend, and if you really are a Christian, you will share this post, because then you won't become under a curse, and God will bless you. I want to say, you've been given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Don't do that. Stop doing that stuff. Paints a terrible picture of who God is. You can't manipulate him or coerce him into doing things. He's true to himself and he's always good, loving, and generous. Just come back into relationship with him. He's pursuing you because he wants to have a loving, deep, intimate relationship with you. But he's not going to force you and he's not going to control you. It needs to be your choice and you'll be accountable for it.
So we're in this series, and we're partnering, as I've said, with three other churches. We're going to be going through it for the next six weeks. We've got some guest speakers coming in. Same message in the evening, and I want to encourage you. I'm believing this is going to build something into us as a community where we'll know how to do relationships well and host the presence of God in our relationships, and those will start to be a testimony wherever we might be placed. But I want to encourage you, please, this is a series on relationships. Can I ask you to get into a small group? We've got a a clipboard at the back. We'd love you to get into a small group. It's not a big commitment. It's six weeks. Get into a setting that you can talk this out in relationship, that you can encourage each other, that you can pray for each other, that you can seek God on matters together. In the small groups, I know there are numerous groups that are going to be going through this content. There's going to be some questions to look at. There's going to be some um, picking up on things we've been sharing. There'll be a video clip that goes deeper than how we're just going on a Sunday. Can I ask you just for a small period of time, commit to a small group so that we can be equipped to powerfully love and serve. Have some self-discipline for six weeks and come to a small group. No pressure. I'm not, I'm not uh, manipulating you, not controlling you. I'm inviting you and pursuing you. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that we can come. And Lord, we've shared ideas and it's not normally how we, we share on a Sunday together. But Lord, we, we're just so aware of your relationship with us, your love for us, that Lord, we want to learn how to love well. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and equip us. Give us the language. Give us the skill set. Give us the tools that we might be ambassadors of your love, taking it out wherever we might go. Lord, I pray, give us the courage. I thank you, Lord, for everyone here, that you just refresh us, that once again you remind us, that you fill us, that you give us your spirit of power, of love, of self-control and a sound mind, Lord, that we would be able to walk with that, with that responsibility for what you've entrusted to us, that we would be empowered in how we live and that we wouldn't come into all these different roles. I pray there would be no victims, no bad guys, no rescuers walking out of this place, but there will be the redeemed of the Lord walking in identity and loving others into relationship with Jesus. I pray that in your mighty name. Amen.